Hi, this is Mimi. And this is Lee. And this is Getting Rich After Divorce. We're two divorced women who decided the best way to get rich was to embrace our entrepreneurial spirits and build our own business. To us, rich means the money in your bank account, but also the quality of your life, your experiences, and your personal well-being. You're here to overcome doubt, fear, burnout, and finally get unstuck to build a business you love and makes you rich. You also want to learn how to do all of this while navigating the challenges divorced women face. If that's you, stick with us. You're in the right place. Hey, this is Mimi. And this is Lee. And in this episode of Getting Rich After Divorce, we talk about, are you pushing money away? Yeah. I mean, any conversation about money, um, I find is always fascinating. But this idea that um, it, without thinking about it so often, we are pushing money away. Instead, of, like what we want is I want more money. I want more money. But we tend to focus on why we don't have it. And we actually push it away instead of attracting it. Yes. And the way it's going to feel to a person if they are pushing money away, they're going to feel like, no, I just don't have money (laughs) and money's for other people and not me, or somehow it's easy for others and not me. And, and I can say that because I've been in those shoes. We're going to talk about our own money stories in this episode, you know, starting when we were children and sort of talk through how we evolved into changing our money stories over time. You know, it's not always an overnight sensation. It's, you know, sometimes a slow evolution. Yeah. And I think this is a very important topic for divorced women, well, women in general, mm-hmm. divorced women, especially because often the divorce is a catalyst for really having to get in touch with your money and managing money. It really was for me. And I had worked um, up until my marriage and all through my marriage. So I had been you know, a money maker and was for the last few years of my marriage, the only money maker because my husband was employed, but I really didn't get serious about my um, knowledge of money, um, my care of my money, you know, and my thought of, oh, I can be doing more. My money can be doing more for me until after the divorce, because it, you know, it really hit a tipping point. It was like, I either had to do something or we were going to lose the house. (laughs) You know, it was like, So I think it's um, we often wait until we're in our most dire circumstances before we take action. So we wanted to have this conversation now because you're divorced and you're ready to start a business. So now is the perfect time to really start to understand your money, appreciate it and really shift your relationship with money. Yes. So, um, you know, if I think back to my childhood, maybe, um, I always felt early on, like we just had plenty of money. Like we were, I I thought we were rich and, you know, probably compared to some people, we absolutely looked rich. I mean, we're, the reality was we were, you know, a middle-class family and my dad did pretty well. We did have, you know, a nice house and, you know, my parents owned their own home and they owned their two cars and, we had nice vacations. So it was a nice middle class upbringing. I felt like we were rich until, <laughs> until um, 
you know, my dad started to have some problems. You know, I think he was never really diagnosed as an alcoholic, but he did start to drink more and more. And that led to him making some risky decisions in his own business journey. And he was entrepreneurial, but, you know, he kind of, kind of imploded, I think, a little bit in his uh, 40s or as he was approaching 40 and hit kind of the midlife crisis. And so then suddenly, right at that time, I also got admitted to uh, the Westminster schools in Atlanta. And in that school setting, there were many students had servants, <laughs> like butlers. <laughs> and so I... I don't know if I should say many, but a fair number, a fair few, because I went to their houses after school, you know, for, you know, hanging out time and whatever. And a butler would greet me at the door. Then a maid would come in with a tray for snacks. And, you know, so I was right at the time my dad, his career started to implode. And suddenly there was a shortage of money that was kind of clear. Um, I was noticing that some people had way more than we ever had. And so that started to reshape my thoughts around money. And then my parents eventually got divorced. And we had at one point, uh, and I remember so clearly this refrigerator in our kitchen, and it was bright white inside and, you know, it's got the light bulb. And when you would open the refrigerator after school, there was, do you remember, was it Shasta? like Shasta orange. Did you guys have Shasta soda? There was like a, always this large, like liter of Shasta soda somewhere in there and um, Oscar Mayer hot dogs. And that was it. Like literally it would be empty. (laughs) And so my money reality really shifted in my early teens. And um, that, that, flavored my how I my relationship to money probably still today but definitely well into my 20s before I finally took control and started reading books about money and things started to shift there and um, I won't go too far with it but like what was your early childhood like how did your money story evolve up until maybe your teens or early yeah 20s? Yeah, I can, I can share that. But first I just wanted to say like the reason we're talking about money stories is because how you think and feel about money now um, is driven by the experiences Mm. you had Mm. as a child. And the science is saying that somewhere around the age four or five, maybe up to six is when you are cementing your money beliefs. And Lee had a brother and they probably grew up in like the same, they're pretty close in age, just like me and my siblings are, you know, so we all grew up in the same financial environment, but our money stories and how we feel about money can be dramatically different because it's not your reality. You know, like it didn't matter whether you came from a low income house, you know, middle class or wealthy, that's not what informs how you feel about money. It's like how you internalize what was going around in your little child brain about money. (laughs) So, So every child in the family can have a different perception. So people that don't have money, you know, like Lee thought she was riding high with the, you know, high rollers, because that's how money was talked about and viewed in your family, right? That there's 
an excess of money and everything's going to be okay. So Lee just rode along with that, which was like totally. very yeah. similar. I have three siblings and how we think about money and um, talk about money. Well, we don't, first of all, <laughs> never would we have discussed money in our household and not really I have two brothers and a sister. So my sister and I will talk about it now because we're looking for, you know, ways to go into business together. But um, which is also really typical, right? Like that's my money story. You just didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So whether we did have a little or we didn't have a little, it wasn't discussed. And there was always in my mind, this feeling that it's just going to be there, you know, that when, when money is needed, it's just going to be there, which is um, not the most responsible way to think about money. You know, so I was wow. raised where you didn't talk about it. Um, you didn't worry about it. You didn't express concern about it. Even when checks were bouncing and, you know, credit cards were being declined. Um, so it was, it was interesting to go. I even worked in the financial institution in Boston in my twenties. And that didn't seem to change how I thought and felt about money. It just was this sort of out there thing that was happening around me, but that I wasn't actively involved mm -hmm. in. So it's, um, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about money and to start becoming interested in it, you know, later in life. So what happened for me was when my marriage ended, I was, okay, let's step in. We've got to do something about this. We have to figure out, you know, what we're going to do. My husband and I, because I was raised in an environment that didn't talk about money, we didn't talk about money. We didn't commingle our um, finances, thankfully, you know, because when the, as the marriage was eroding and um, he was struggling mentally and losing his job, the fact that I still had my money separate really made it possible for me to, to keep the family afloat and to keep, you know, going strong. And then when um, everything started to end and in my mind, I was like, okay, girl, this is it. You've got to take control and you've really got to do something. That's when I dove in and um, I'm by nature a researcher. So that's when I kind of dove in and thought, what can I do? How do I learn? Um, ended up with a shelf full of books and um, a computer full of online courses and other research tools to learn everything that I could about money. And this idea of the money story and what it how it informs what you do now was so powerful. But I also really started to learn about um, the thought processes that were keeping and do keep, you know, women in particular in poverty. And if you can uncover these money beliefs, these like negative thoughts um, that often referred to as like money blocks, these things that are standing between you and getting money, if you could start to identify what yours are, then you can say, okay, that's it. I see where it is. I can link it back to my, my story and my money story, and now I can do something about it. So that's really kind of what we want to start investigating, you know, for you to start investigating is what are your money beliefs, you know, and how are they block it a block, which is effectively how you're pushing money away. Like you're sitting behind this money belief and this money block and money is on the other side. And so how do you start to to tear that apart a little bit. Hey, Mimi, I think my internet went out temporarily, so I don't know. <laughs> I apologize if I 
froze on screen or wasn't uh, chiming in, uh, but so I don't know. I did miss the thread of what you're talking about, but um, you oh. you keep going or ask me a question. Yeah. So I was just talking about my money story, which you've heard, you know, that our family that absolutely doesn't discuss money, but also like how, when you uncover what your money blocks is like these negative thoughts, once you can start to uncover what your negative thoughts about money are, you often can link it back to these money stories in childhood, but it's the uncovering and the discovering of what that block is that allows you to um, really get curious about what it is and then start to shift it. Right. Right. You have to start to see yourself a little bit. And I think the first step is recognizing that you might, even if you don't see it yet, you might, if you're not happy with your money story, it's not where you want it to be. You don't feel good about your money story. Then there's a very strong likelihood, maybe a hundred percent likelihood that you've got some money thoughts that act as money blocks and then it's your work once you recognize that could be true, just to start to develop your awareness toward it, because it, it may take some time to understand exactly what you do think about money. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure that you've heard some of these blocks, you know, like um, scarcity, like, oh, there's just not mm -hmm. enough money. And even if I do have a lot of money, I can't spend it because if I start to spend it, it'll all disappear. You know, I think that's a really common one. Um, and the one that is super frustrating to me is this idea that um, I don't know enough about money to get involved in my money. Right. You know, like some of them are so sneaky that it's like, oh, no, this is a healthy thought that yeah. so we, we start to believe that these are healthy thoughts. So we don't want to um, change them. Yeah, I'm trying to think. You know, I, I know enough about myself to know that when I, when I, people were first like, oh, you're probably in money scarcity out of it. No, I'm not. Don't tell me what I think. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah. You know, you are not me. <laughs> you know, I've been kind of pushing, resisting and kind of angry that somebody was trying to tell me that I had money blocks or that, if, especially if you don't have that awareness it might be like, I don't think that at all. I don't walk around thinking that, but a lot of it's very subliminal, subconscious. And you're so, it's like fish in water. You don't know you're in the water because it's your environment. It's your thinking environment. And so you're not aware until you do become aware. Um, so money scarcity, a lot of people probably heard about, you know, money abundance, money scarcity, and, you know, that that relates to your thinking. So if anybody's feeling resistant, like, no, I'm positive. I, I do affirmations and I still have a money situation that I don't like. The, the good news is you do have money blocks. And the reason it's good is you can start to locate where they are. But, but first there's that resistance to kind of move through. And yeah, yeah. And, and it could be in some of the phrases that we all grew up hearing, right? Money doesn't grow on trees. Mm -hmm. It's like, maybe it does. Maybe there's a way out there. <laughs> what if you could believe that, you know, all of these yeah. money and, and they're for me, right? And which is really flipping from scarcity to abundance, but mm -hmm. money doesn't grow on trees. Yeah. I mean, either does a lot of stuff and I still feel like it's for me. Right. But somehow money becomes mm -hmm. the taboo thing. Like books don't grow on trees. Well, I have a lot of those, you know, so it's, mm -hmm. it's really connecting to things that don't exist or that um, yeah. 
Right. I think of an, oh, um, I'm not made of money. You know, like <laughs> you ever heard that as a child when you ask for something, right. and the response is like, I'm not made of money. I was like, yeah, okay. What does that mean? <laughs> you don't know what it means, but you know money's not coming your way, right? It's like yeah. we, we don't want to go into harvesting organs, but you yeah. know, there could be a way that you are. Um, I won't go down a grizzly path with that, yeah. but um, yeah, I think the metaphor metaphors are so powerful. We use a lot of metaphor work in our workshops and programs because they are so powerful. You, you might think, well, that phrase, I mean, I've heard it, but that doesn't govern. Metaphors are actually way more powerful than you might think. And so any of those little metaphors you picked up, the things that people say, they stick. Unbeknownst to you, they're sticking in there. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why like your, you and your siblings can have different um, relationships with money today because right. you can hear you know, money doesn't grow on trees and think, well, that's a stupid thing. And it makes no impact on you. Or you can think, oh my gosh, we're broke. We don't have any money, you know, and it can start to set that scarcity mindset for you. You know, that's what I mean, I guess the nice thing about my mind and the scary thing, if the wrong metaphor gets in there is the minute somebody says money doesn't grow on trees, is I immediately picture a tree with little leaves of like dollar bills. And so then it, in my mind, it's like, oh, there's like a tree with money. Um, but then they're, they're, that's how potent it is in my mind. But who knows what else I'm picturing that I'm not even aware of. You just have to start to develop that awareness. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was a big one for me. So I actually made a um, money vision board that was based on trees. Oh, yeah. I love that. I vision have it right board. here. Can we show it to you? Yeah. 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 Show everybody. So if you're listening on Apple podcast, come over to YouTube, our YouTube channel, and you can see um, Mimi's money tree. My money board and all the background for the whole thing is like different images of trees for that idea of like, I want money to feel like all the leaves on the trees. I want to feel like it's out there and there's that abundance about it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So come over to YouTube. If you're listening on Apple podcast, uh, to get that great visual because that, that I think I would recommend that maybe some other people, if you feel so inspired, you know, make a vision board like Mimi's kind of representing metaphors that are useful to you in your money story. Yeah. Because what we really want um, for divorced women, especially divorced women that are starting to uh, think about um, having a business is to really, as you're on this journey at the beginning of it, really change um, your relationship with money and really start mm-hmm. to shift it to an abundance mm-hmm. mindset and um, shift it away from thinking that money is hard and I'm going to have to work really hard. And one of the reasons I don't want to start a business is because I'm going to have to work so hard for money, you know, mm-hmm. because I think if you work in a corporate job, for me anyway, it's like I felt there's somebody out there that's doing all the really heavy lifting and I'm just coming in and doing my part. So if I start my own business, I'm going to be the one that has to do all of that heavy lifting. And it's just not true. Like the way Lee and I approach our businesses and how we teach starting a business and how we want you to run a business is it can fit joyfully into my life because I'm creating a business about something that I love. I love the impact that it makes and I'm not going to work until I'm burnt out and overwhelmed and start to feel negative about it. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah. That's it. We're definitely going to address burnout in a 
And we have addressed burnout in another episode that hasn't been released yet, but we'll be talking about burnout a lot. Um, but with money, I mean, I, I want to speak to people out there who may be as resistant as I am to being able to see their thoughts, because it's one thing to say, oh, I know I need to, I want to develop and where I've been working on that. And I, I also became more open-minded to seeing like my actual thoughts around money and my money story. And it was still super hard for me to get at. And so I had to use other methods. Like I had to learn how to do a whole bunch of different things to try to get past all my resistance or whatever was going on. Um, you know, I read a lot of books about how to manage money. So I felt more knowledgeable about how to work with money. So I did some learning, book learning. And then I also, um, which was great. I managed, you know, in my marriage, I managed our money and I, you know, it was the nineties. So it was kind of easy to invest and make money, but I did invest during the nineties and we made money from it, but, but which was a nice way to learn because it was an easy decade to do it. But, um, you know, really, I had to use some of the coaching techniques I eventually learned and that we do in our programs. Like we we talk a lot about tapping and I have a tapping money story where. So what I'm saying is I couldn't just figure out what my money thoughts were. I had to use other ways to get in there. And I guess, if you know, if anybody's listening who just feels like I just can't see those thoughts. I just, I don't even know what I think. That's not working for me. There are other ways. It's not a hopeless cause. <laughs> you know, there are ways, other coaching tools and um, energy tools uh, or just reading, get, you know, developing your knowledge base. There, there are ways you can get at it if you feel like, I just can't see my own thoughts. Yeah. There's hope. There's hope. Yeah. And I think that um, the financial industry, which has been very male dominated, like one way they keep the power in their hands is by making us all think that money is hard and complicated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And both Lee and I, you know, have just shared that we just went out and started learning how to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it isn't really hard and complicated. Almost everything is, you know, it's not heavy math, you know, there's, even um, apps now that help you, everything can be automated. It just really is kind of um, busting through the fear of it's too hard and it's not for me. Like if right. you just start to shift that and it just takes a little bit of knowledge to help build a little bit of confidence. And then that really just snowballs into more knowledge, more confidence. And it isn't that you're now we're going to have to spend two years in college trying to figure out how to manage your personal finances or your business finances which I think that 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 also yeah. that holds people back. It's like, I don't have enough time to learn everything I need to know about money. So I'm just going to continue to ignore it. Like, yeah, I try to think of like the really accessible books that I first started with. And since I started doing my book learning in the 80s, um, I there was a really good book that's very accessible, I think, to anybody is The Millionaire Next Door. And it's just a very simple easy to comprehend, easy to read book that just brings everything down to earth and walks you through very easy to grasp, you know, soothing lessons around money. It's not an alarmist book. You know, some books have kind of a frantic 
tone to them, but the, I thought the author did a really good job making it accessible. And so I would recommend, even though it's an old book, um, there's still just some very sensible things in there. It's just easy. I know a lot of, I, I got, I had some Susie, is it Susie Orsman or uh-huh. Susie Orman? Yeah, Susie Orsman. Um, I did have her book. It was okay, but I, I think for me, uh, The Millionaire Next Door was just well-written or something. I could just get through it more easily, uh, but I did have her book. I, I, I would recommend The Millionaire Next Door. And I don't remember the names of the other books I was reading, but that one I think was maybe even the first one I picked up. Yeah, so, we, can put, we can put a few books in the yeah. show notes that are good to start now. Susie Orman has a great book for women over 50 too. So yeah. um, put that one in, but we can link a few of them. And yeah. I'll also put in a link to the blog because what we listed there are 10 limiting beliefs that you might have. Because sometimes if you sit down and try to come up with like, what are my limiting beliefs about money? It's, um, you don't know where to start. Like for me, especially when I started this journey, like, and just like Lee was saying, like, I didn't think I had limiting beliefs because I didn't really understand what a limiting belief around money might be. If somebody would have said scarcity, mindset was a limiting belief I would have been like nope that's what's keeping me safe yeah <laughs> like, you know we hold on to these limiting yeah. because you know they're serving and have served a purpose at some point right like that's really what allowed me to keep my money tight as I was trying to maneuver my family from this place of really almost you know financial apocalypse it probably wasn't that dire but it certainly can feel that dire because money is emotional very emotional. It's like, it's like just this tool that we use to exchange for goods and to buy and sell stuff. But for some reason, there's a lot of money attached, um, a lot of emotion attached to money. It probably has to do with that Maslow, you know, like the seven layers. Yeah, I think it's a hierarchy of needs. It, yeah. And it, it is related to that because we, we do need money in this world to get those basic, some, most of those basic needs met. Um, and there is, I think it's the psychology of our culture too. You know, there's such a importance placed, you know, your popularity, like all the young teen novels shows, it's all about, you know, the, popular rich kids versus the have-nots who aren't so pop, you know, so there's such a cultural structure around money that it seems all important. And then if I don't have that, so many bad things will happen that aren't even my basic needs, but a lot of just niceties that are also presented by culture to be, you know, the most important thing uh, relate to money. Everything relates to money. So we all have this it's not like you're a bad person or I'm a bad person if we have a lot of emotion and money or have money blocks I want to make that clear too uh it can start to feel like well I'm just deficient (laughs) all around not only do I not have money but I have this horrible mindset (laughs) yeah it's my fault (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up because it is um anytime I go in to learn something new, whether it's money or something physical, a new uh, craft. It's like, it doesn't matter what it is. Anytime I try to learn something new, I just am like, I can only see the failures. I can only see where I'm struggling. It brings back like all the times I tried in the past, you know, like I know that's how I felt when I tried to 
start meditating. Well, I failed at that 15 times. I'm probably going to fail again. And so when I start to think about what's holding me back, it only takes me back to all those negative feelings I had about it. So when you start to do this bunny work, that's also going to be super, you know, normal that you're going to be like, oh, that's why I made all of those mistakes. And, you know, didn't handle money in the way I want. And it's like, this is an opportunity to look back and beat up that person, you know, and who you were. This is really like, this is the moment where I'm going to, I'm going to change it. And what will happen for you is as you start to shift and improve how you think about money, it's going to have an immediate effect on your personal finances. Like that's going to happen right away. And then that um, will creep into your business and your business success as well. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe even being willing to entertain that the cultural, our, my culture has a negative money story. My culture has money blocks. How can I release myself from my culture? How can I softly, gently, you know, disentangle myself from this cultural money story that we're all spoon fed and force fed even? And how can I escape it? Because it's not, I'm not broken, you know? Um, I'm not the one, I, I may have absorbed some of this and it may have impacted me, but I'm not I'm not the broken one here. I live in a, a world that values money and has all these stories around money. It's my job to find like my soul path, my purpose, you know, and, then figure out how to make friends with money, which is another thing we teach in our programs. How do you make friends with money? And so that it's a friendly, fun, playful relationship that you have. And that's not the way culture thinks about it or talks about it. So really you're just disentangling your healthy self from an unhealthy cultural framework. And you're not, you're not the one who's broken here. I would, I would, Posit that. <laughs> and maybe that'll help you. Cause I, you know, now that I think back, but I was saying I had all these resistance to people telling me I was the one who was in scarcity or whatever they were, you know, whatever books were saying or coaches were saying. And I think there's that immediate recognition, like something else is going on as well. And I don't think it's just me because how come all of us, how so many women have this money story? Why, why might that be? It's not that women are broken. You know, it's not that divorced women are broken. There, what might be another cause for us having some money blockages? And I would point to culture and, and laws, you know, the laws that our culture set, the, the way the mechanisms for divorce, the mechanisms for getting money into the hands of women. So of course, I'm getting on my soapbox again as we end the podcast. But yeah, I just, yeah. I just want to put it out there. Um, yeah, I think that's a good way to end it. That, um, that these uh, beliefs and thoughts and your money story is not, um, it's not indicative of you as a person. Yeah. Like this is, uh, and and because it. It, they're formed when you're four, five, and six. Like you can't look back at that person and think that's a broken, you know, like these are thoughts that are formed like at such an early age and they are societal induced. And even if it's within your family, your family is operating within the culture of society that they live. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's your job now to, to disregard any blame or ownership that you take over that. And just like, 
see it for what it is and then what actions am i going to take to leave that story behind and create a new story and a new relationship absolutely that's a that's a wonderful way to end this is to look back on your four-year-old and think if you have nieces nephews if you yourself have children look at their four-year-old selves how is that person to be to blame for any following um, relationship to money. If that's when it's forming, it's just a kid absorbing what's around them. And that kid is a beautiful, healthy kid who just was in a culture that started to contort and twist the money story for that kid. Yeah, but you can undo it. You can, you, we can you really undo can. It. And, yeah. and I just think, you know, if you just go into it where I can learn about money, you know. Yeah it's really accessible to me and yes. I can welcome more of it into my bank, which is what we really want for you. Yes. Welcome more of it into your bank. And you, like Mimi was saying earlier, it, it is not rocket science. It is not. And you can do it. You don't even have to, I'm not good at math. I wouldn't say I'm exceptionally good at math, but I do feel like I learned how to manage money. So you can do it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Getting Rich After Divorce. We're so happy you were here. We truly value each and every one of you. Yes, um, we, we sure do. And be sure to subscribe to us wherever you're catching us, whether it's on you know, through a podcast platform or on YouTube, uh, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you feel like you deserve that um, and, and join our community so you get updates and, and stick with us.